It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Masterplan world, and welcome to our latest podcast. It's great to have so many of you out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, creator of the e-commerce Masterplan. I'm an author, speaker and consultant, and I focus on e-commerce business strategy and marketing. Now, last time we had a really interesting chat with Sebastian from Honeytree, his second time on the show, and he was sharing with us about the launch of his subscription stationery business and also about the challenges of building or rebuilding the personalised stationery website that he runs as well. Really, really interesting interview, even if I say so myself, with lots of little tips in there. So I highly recommend you go and listen to that one. But first of all, stick around for this one. Oh, and of course, if you have any thoughts about the podcast or um, various episodes, or you've got any questions about e-commerce, then please head over to our Facebook group at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook or search for the e-commerce masterplan world group on Facebook itself. Uh, Join in and uh, there's lots of really interesting discussion there. It'd be great to have a chat with you all. Anyway, let's get on with today's special guest, because this is why you're not going to want to go and listen to Sebastian yet, but you're going to want to stick here, because I've got something very special for you today. Today, we're going to be diving into the world of UX and CRO. So for those of you not familiar with those terms, that's user experience and conversion rate optimization, or basically getting your website to work better for you. So I want to introduce you to our special guest. Matt Isherwood is the author of Designing E-Commerce Websites, Over 50 UX Design Tips and Tricks for Great Online Shops. It's a number one Amazon bestseller, and reviews include a 15-year website design veteran who says... Matt's densely packed ebook has been a major eye opener. So if it's an eye opener for him, then it's clearly going to help all the rest of us who aren't designing websites all day, day in, day out. Now, Matt's also worked at both the BBC and One Fine Stay. He's got a huge amount of e-commerce and travel experience, and he's now specialising in working with growing startups just like you lot. Hi, Matt. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me on. That's great to have you here. Um, I've, I think you're our first ever UX expert on the podcast, which is truly embarrassing for two years <laughs> of been going yeah. by this point. So thank you. Um, so I've given our listeners a really quick overview of you, your business and what you're up to in the book. But how did you get, before we get into the book in more detail, how did you get started off in e-commerce? So yeah, I guess to start with, it kind of makes sense to talk about uh, how I got into UX, and because that's what happened first. Mm-hmm. I got into UX, UX designer at the BBC, actually almost a decade ago, and kind of back then there weren't so many people doing UX design, like companies doing it in the way they do now. And like the BBC, one of the few had a team of almost a hundred UX designers working across all different platforms, things like iPlayer, Sport News. Um, and all that. So I did that for about three years, really enjoyed it. Obviously, that was nothing to do with e-commerce. There was not a lot of that going on there, but that gave me a really good grounding in the kind of principles of UX design and designing for everybody and making things accessible. And then I kind of left there and joined in 2011, uh, One Fine Stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of got excited by a lot of the startup scene that was going on in London and a lot of these companies suddenly taking off and there's a lot more events going on around the kind of uh, startup space yeah. and one fine stay for those who don't know it's kind of a high-end airbnb is the simplest way of putting it slightly different in that there's a bit more kind of hotel service in there but essentially it's renting out people's homes um and i was the 
sort of first and ended up being the only UX designer there. So I kind of led all the UX side and also ended up moving into kind of product management and product managing the e-commerce website. So I kind of got the main area that I focused on was the e-commerce site. So that was kind of how I fell into e-commerce and was doing that for about three and a half years from it being a startup of about 30 people to all the way through to by the time I left over 300 people in the company and across four or five different cities. Um, nice. Now, I've, so, yeah. I've, I've, I often find that people who have done something else online and then come to e-commerce never leave e-commerce again or, you know, or travel um, because instead of the world of page views and trying to decide whether time or page views is your must do, you know, your number one stat, all of a sudden you've got money as the number one stat. And it's, <laughs> it's unarguably, if there's more money, it's definitely right. And that's really, for those of us who love data and love testing and results, that kind of becomes a little bit addictive. Is that how you found it? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I hadn't thought about that before. Um, I think um, I do talk sometimes about how uh, e-commerce is a really good kind of proving ground for UX design because mm-hmm. there's that kind of dollar amount at the end that determines whether it's successful or not. You can't really argue. It's a bit less subjective. You can be a lot more objective about it and say this works, this doesn't. I think that's kind of how we've ended up with quite a lot of the patterns and quite well-defined templates in e-commerce that people understand. There's kind of a people have certain expectations of what an e-commerce site does because it's been sort of yeah, built up over time and these expectations. And yeah, so I've ended up now consulting the last two years or so. And yeah, mainly to e-commerce sites. I kind of yeah, put myself out there as a specialist in e-commerce. Um, yeah, because once I think, I think you might be right, once you kind of start learning those skills and thinking in that way, it does become somewhat addictive. <laughs> Certainly has been for me. Okay, so that's how you got involved in e-commerce. But what led you to write your book? Um, so the book kind of grew out of two things. The first is, uh, it started kind of as a workshop that I've been teaching for about four years with General Assembly, um, who are kind of tech training organization around the world, but I've been working with them in London. And so there I was teaching kind of essential uh, sort of kind of hour and a half class. It was like essential UX design for e-commerce sites. So I was teaching lots of people who were um, either like graphic designers who hadn't done much UX design before or business owners and just wanted to sort up on that element as well. So I was giving them the kind of basics. Here's what a good basic, you know, uh, e-commerce site should definitely do if it's going to kind of meet the competition. And then that sort of formed some of the tips and tricks I put in there. The other half have kind of come from the fact that I've now been consulting for two years and working in e-commerce before that. And I've just now looked at a lot of analytics, a lot of heat maps, uh, visitor recordings, a lot of user tests. And you just kind of start to see the same issues get repeated. A lot of the similar things come up again and again. And I just thought I could really distill a lot of these down into kind of tips and tricks that I can say with pretty good assurance that you're, you know, these things will affect your site if you're running an e-commerce site. So that's what's kind of combined to form the book. So it's very much tried and tested. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've always got to be a bit um, cautious of taking everyone else's best practice advice, but I do bring you this as kind of hard-won knowledge. Yeah, because that's a, it's an interesting thing for me. It's like you, people say to me, you know, oh, it must be so difficult because things are always changing e-commerce and there must be different processes for everybody. But it's like, well, actually, there isn't one marketing plan that will, will, you know, work for all businesses. But there is a process of identifying that marketing plan for all businesses. Is that the same when we're talking UX, the best practices, the approach? Or are there also kind of some quick wins that you'd be crazy to bother testing that? So just make that change. Yeah, I think so. There's definitely some quick wins that 
I think we've learned over time will, you know, nine times out of 10 help you. Things like just fewer links generally on landing pages is a basic example, like simple stuff like don't go baffling people and throwing lots and lots of options at them. Think about, take a step back, think about what is the process you want your user to go through, where are they going to land, what do you want them to do next? Because it's amazing how many times you can land on sites and it can be totally unclear of what those people who are running the site actually want you to do next in the in your journey. They're not making it clear what the absolute obvious action should be. Um, so yeah, there's very much part of an approach, step back, think about it, take the time to actually... Too often people just start building a website, put something up there, they get it out, and then they never really take the time to think about why they built it the way it is or if it's come together in a more sort of hodgepodge way, like what it should be doing and what it could be doing better. I have to say, I did find that very interesting about uh, uh, with what you've put into the book is that it's as much about the content and the messaging yeah. and the whole, well, what's the point of this page? So the, the big picture stuff as it is about, well, let's make that button green rather than red. Yeah. You know, and, and what we all think of when we think CRO, oh, let's move a button, let's change the colour, let's yeah. change one word. It's actually as much about thinking, well, what, what are we actually trying to achieve here, people? And does yeah. the website actually do what we want to achieve? I thought that, that was really re- a really interesting curveball for me in some ways. It wasn't what I was anticipating from the book. I think that's good. I think user experience now is very much has to tie with the brand and it has to be part of that same promise you make to people as part of the brand. If you say you're going to be simple and easy and kind of friendly, that that is also expressed in the way the design is. And yeah, one of my pet hates is the kind of just uh, what color should the button be? And And you see so many, I think it's petered out a bit now, but there was a period where there were so many blogs out there telling you, oh, we made up, we changed our buttons from green to red, and then we got a 30% increase in conversion. So you should all do the same. And it's like, yeah. well, no, it's not, it's not as simple as like a kind of basic thing like that. Um, it doesn't really matter what color it is. It's more about, okay, a green button will work really well on a site where there's like an absolute white background, really clear that it stands out. If it's on a green background, that's not going to work, you know? So mm. It's kind of it all depends on context. So a lot of that context is fed by your it relates to marketing, relates to brand, and relates to what you're actually trying to tell people. Now, another thing which surprised me um, within the book was how much you were talking about USPs, you know, the right. unique selling proposition of the business and making yeah. sure that comes across. And you've got a great section in there about USPs. So have you got a couple of kind of advice for anyone out there who's going? I don't I don't know I can't work it out I can't put it into words I can't I can't drill it down. Have you got any advice for them? Yeah, I think I think the USP is really important. I think that is another thing that can get lost especially on that landing experience. Okay. Again, think about the landing experience when people first arrive on your site. Are you getting that message across clearly about how you are different? And it doesn't I think people often think about the USP being that they have to be better than someone else. That would be good, but really it's about how you're different. Because if you're not expressing that you're different uh, clearly to people, then they're not kind of, then they might as well just go elsewhere. They probably, and the danger of a lot of e-commerce is they'll just go to Amazon. If, they, if unless they can learn why it would be beneficial for them to go via you. And I think you need to think about true things that make you different, um, not just, and it's not going to be price really. I mean, you, if you are playing the price game, that's a kind of challenging one to always be the mm-hmm. cheapest. And it's probably not going to be things like free shipping and stuff that people sometimes boast about because a lot of people just expect that. It's things that are a bit more integral to your brand. So there's people out there who are maybe 
uh, everything's handmade or everything's uh, personalizable. You know, it's all engravable or personalizable. And things like that's the stuff you'd be shouting at, but that's what the bigger stores, your likes of your Amazon aren't going to do. Um, and so focus, find that thing that you do that you probably is the reason you started your business or the reason you got into it in the first place and kind of shout about that. And that can be a simple one-liner, can't it? Mm. It doesn't have to be, well, probably somewhere on the website, you're going to have 20 paragraphs about it. But for that homepage, it's about getting the message across quickly and clearly. Oh, ideally just one line. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to uh, you know, baffle people with lots and lots of things and put too many messages up there because um, it's just going to get lost. You've got to, it might be a bit of work. You might have to sit down and really spend some time sort of trying to boil it down to that one thing. But once you've got it, then just keeping on message, as it were, and repeating that is kind of uh, important in the beginning. And then as people get more interested, they might find your about page and there's a lot more to describe and there's more to find out. And that'll be a real bonus for people. Going, oh, look, and they do this and they do this. And it's a really nice, pleasurable surprise. Um, but they won't get in unless there's a hook to start with. Can you just, il- are you able to illustrate that hook idea with a, with a practical example? For anyone who this going, oh yeah, okay, I get the concept, but I can't imagine it in reality. Is there one, is there one real life example you can share with us? Um, I'm trying to think of <laughs> without one. destroying any confidentiality, of course. No, I'm trying to think of. Well, I can think of. So there was a site I worked on um, last year that they were selling um, just one item. I'll, I'll be kind of a little bit vague, but I'm yeah, sorry. Cool. But they were um, they were selling just one item of clothing. They were specialising in one single item of clothing. Um, and they did that really well, and they really cared about making the quality of that really good. And it was all about they've actually done a lot of research into how to make this product like the perfect version that it could be. Mm-hmm. But then the first thing you were getting initially when I started working on their homepage um, was just a kind of really odd message, like the, the sort of um, USP message involved like hashtags and saying kind of, you know, market us. We're doing this. This is, and it just totally didn't make clear. That, that what they'd done, they'd gone away and spent loads of effort on. It should have just said really clearly. Um, so it was actually, it was women's tights, right? It was the thing they were doing. And it, so it was just, you know, we know this part. We know women's tights. We, we've mastered this. We have thought about every problem you might have. And we've done that rather than trying to get too cute and clever with kind of uh, jargon and hashtags and sort of uh, mixed bits in there. They just need to just tell people in the simplest possible terms what it is that you're better than everyone else at. So it's a bit like if someone's created the most perfect ethical chocolate brand yeah. and on the homepage it just says it's yummy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. So, um, what about all, all that all work other, you did? Yeah. Or, or they tell you that it's um, like really like the name of the plant it was grown from and all this detail. They're too close to it. Often one mm-hmm. problem with sort of business owners, they end up being too close to it and they start telling you about the thing that they know, but it's not the thing that the average person is going to care about or it's not the hook that gets them involved so there's something of a sort of stepping back i think that can be helped by getting people externally to look at it doing user testing um having the kind of actually seeing it through the eyes of your users it's too it's very easy for you to own it, especially if it's yourself or talking amongst your team and you get kind of a bit carried away internally about stuff that doesn't matter to people outside of your company so it sounds like people can either go too vague or too precise and there's a happy yeah, middle those, ground absolutely yeah oh, nice now you mentioned user testing there which makes yes. me think of tools um and yes. we're obviously we're going to do the top tips a little later on but have you got for anyone who's never ever touched yeah ux on their site and they're listening to this they've read your book they're inspired to get started 
Have you got maybe two or three tools that for you are the must-have starting points before you start tinkering? Yeah, I mean, so what you want to do, you kind of want to combine a few tools, ideally. Um, so Google Analytics is a good one. You know, everyone, almost everyone has it installed. And you can learn some stuff from that. But what Google Analytics tells you is quantitative data, right? It tells you metrics and conversion rates and numbers. And you want to have your funnel set up on there. And that's really useful to, as a starting point. Have a look at your funnel. Have a look at the stage people are going through. What are the conversion rates of each stage? Where's your kind of lowest point? Where are you seeing like a really low conversion rate? Because that's where you can still almost hone into first and start um, looking at that because that's probably where the most improvement can be gained so that tells you your quant but that only gives you the what that only tells you what the problem is just you before we any... just before Sorry, we go yep. on to the whys yes i'm guessing we're going on to whys yes. next um can you just explain funnel just in case okay, anyone's so, out there going oh funnel what's he talking about well so so yeah so the funnel um idea is kind of like the journey that a user will go on to reach purchase and then there's very you'll see if you search for like e-commerce funnel online you'll see lots of different ones and you can see if you do a google image search you'll see all sorts of wild and wacky things that people do <laughs> so you're talking about like acquisition and retention and quite sort of uh, complex terms i actually use a funnel concept in my book as a way of kind of dividing it up and the kind of ux funnel i think of are just more the pages that people visit it's a much more kind of simple way of looking at it i think so in e-commerce it's usually landing they've got a land on your site to start with then they search so fewer people then go down to the search stage where they start sort of comparing products then they'll look at a product page and then they'll probably check out and buy and it's generally called a funnel because it starts off with a lot more people at the top tapering down to fewer people at the end who actually complete the purchase cool thank you for that so let's let's talk whys then the tools to, to answer yes. the why question yeah so once you've kind of got an understanding of what your problem, your biggest problem area to look at is, um, you can then start to sort of dig into the why. And that will be answered by things like, so there's two sort of things you can use there. One is kind of kind of a quant qual data hybrid. So um, Hotjar I like using, which allows you to do uh, look at heat maps and as you see vis uh, video recordings. So that's quite good. Um, it's a little bit more of a budget option rather than running your own user tests. Um, but it means you can start to see with heat maps, you can see, okay, what areas of the page? Is that like a whole area people just aren't getting to? Have I put my kind of main call to action too far down the page or confused it in amongst some other stuff? You can start to see that. And visitor recordings are where they've literally uh, looked, um, tied together all the actions that users take as they go through the site and put them into, mop them up into a kind of video showing the journeys that people are taking. So that can give you a lot of clues. But the best possible data I find comes from user testing. And there's lots of ways you can do user testing. Um, and there's, you can do it in person, you can do it remotely. Um, I think for a lot of e-commerce sites, remote user testing works brilliantly. And for that, I love a tool called usertesting.com. Um, the it's absolutely easy name. to remember so, that one, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and that comes in, it's about $50 per test. So it's not like it can add up a little bit, but I think just for doing the odd test here and there, it can be really valuable. You want to test with about five people at a time um and what that involves is once you've kind of got an idea of where your problem areas on your site that can help you write a few tasks for the user test so you write down some tasks they don't need to be many like four or five asking people to do things on your site um and then you send that out and they've got a big um panel of users who will then pick up that test they'll earn like ten dollars for doing the test um and they'll go through your site and you'll get back a video of them doing it with audio of them speaking as they go through 
Um, and it usually lasts about 15, 20 minutes, that video. And now they've got such a big panel of users, you'll get, you'll get those videos back within an hour or two. So you can put something on there um, and then very quickly get results back. So it's something to start looking at. And with, when you say that you're talking tests like, um, can you go to my homepage and tell you what you think we do? Or yeah, can you go to my website, search and find this type of product and add it to your basket? Yeah. So the way I, the tasks I like to do is almost like one task per step in the funnel to make sure they're kind of moving through the funnel. You can do a really simple test where you just say, here's my site, purchase something and just sit back and see how they do that. The danger of that is they might just find the first thing and then buy it and you won't see them yeah. going through the full journey. So yeah, homepage, a really good thing to test there is ask them, what's your first impressions? Um, tell me what you think we do. A really good one. You know, what do you think we do from what you see here? And you kind of, that's good to do at the beginning because you only get one shot at kind of first impressions. So trying to capture people's raw, unfiltered thoughts and they will be honest with you. They will tell you if they think it doesn't make any sense <laughs> um, and they don't have any, you know, problems uh, with that. And then, yeah, something like search for a, um, you know, item of clothing. And I try and always make sure the tasks relate to them. So say something you would buy. So then you get them to bring a bit of themselves to the test. So they're kind of like um, saying, oh, yeah, I would. And they start to bring their kind of nuances and the real things that people look for. It's like, oh, I don't like um, the color blue. So I'll try and filter by that. And you kind of helps them understand. And then finally, things like, yeah, show how you'd check out, show how you'd go through the checkout process. Um, and then you can usually get it all kind of built up into a little video of them doing the full journey. Having um, watched a couple of user testing videos based on tests that a client with no user experience had set up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely not mentioning them, given what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen the danger being that you ask everything. You know, yes. you get a little bit, oh, I could ask them that. Oh, and I'll ask them that. And all of a sudden you've, you've got this video which actually doesn't tell you anything. Because I think it's it's kind of good that user testing costs money because it forces you to actually do the research before you kind yes. of get test happy. Yes, I agree. Um, I think like, like I say, four or five, maybe six tasks is usually enough. And it's actually, try it. I mean, don't go in heavily, yeah, asking, making it a big, long survey. You do have the chance to ask a few questions at the end that they can fill out type forms to um, type them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do have some follow-up questions, you can put them there. Um, but yeah, the trick is they will also trust that they will talk about things and the users on there are very good. You do get, um, they kind of get rated by the people who do them. So it tends to, they tend to retain only people who are good at expressing themselves and they will talk throughout the test and they'll tell you things and they'll kind of um, express, and, you know, you don't have to ask everything for it to come out anyway. A lot of it will start to come out and they'll start to get these thoughts. And you kind of want to let them go on their slightly, sometimes slightly different journeys because you're, that's how you'll pick things up. If you yeah. make it too rigid and too structured, you're just potentially just going to see the same thing happening again and again. And you've got to be very careful when you write your tasks not to make them too um, instructive, like literally saying, now click the add to basket button, then click the basket in the top corner and go to the basket. And it's like, well, that's not a test of how they buy. That's just a test of can they read buttons, you know? It's like, so you've got to make sure it's thinking it, think about it in terms of actions that humans take, like show how you buy an item, like not jargon about e-commerce sites, like adding to basket and things like that. Marvellous. Okay, so um, we're going to go into the, the, the full-on top tips questions in a couple of minutes' time. But sure. um, Matt, is there is there anything... Any real number one tip you have for anybody who is thinking of going down the UX CRO route with their website? Where do they start? 
Um, yeah, so I think it's you should definitely... Apart from, of, people, of course, reading your book. Which, <laughs> well, yeah. That which was, I would say is a really good place to start. Yeah, you can definitely pick up a few tips there, hopefully. Um, yeah, so I, I'd say just things like user testing are where you get actually some of the richest forms of data. And I think the dangers of some people is they feel um, almost... They get to know the numbers and they almost get sort of protective about the numbers and they get really into the kind of metrics and building funnels and things and sort of living behind that. But it's a, that's kind of a step removed, you know. There's a lot to be said, even at a basic level of just uh, put it, put your site in front of someone, even if it's in person, even just finding people like friends of friends or people who haven't seen it before and like putting it down and sitting there and kind of taking a step back and just letting them sort of browse it and see what happens. These days, you know, we've all carried phones with us at all times. You're kind of anywhere as a testing opportunity. So it's just about doing something, getting some uh, is better than nothing, you know. So at the very basic level, it's about just trust yourself to have a go at testing and you'll get better and you'll learn more as you go along but don't be afraid of it i think a lot of people can be very afraid of those first steps thinking it's a very scientific process it's gonna be quite a scary kind of giving it to other people and letting go of you know your site and things um but doing some is better than nothing so even at a base so even if you don't have a huge budget for it going into coffee shops or whatever potentially finding people who might be better or you know, trade shows, things like that, finding other people, putting your site in front of them. And like so much of mobile, um, so much of e-commerce traffic is on mobile now, mm -hmm. that uh, the phone is a really good place to start. So literally going into a coffee shop, um, buying someone a coffee and going, would you mind having a play on my website? Yeah. I mean, that's an example that's used all the time in kind of UX circles, but I don't like it that much, actually, because it's <laughs> kind of, it's a bit, it's potentially a bit harassing. You can be a little bit cleverer about where you find people. So things like conferences can be great. Places where people are sort of milling around and happy to be interrupted and it will be engaged and give you kind of good stuff. You know, you can be yeah. a bit dangerous with sort of members of the public that they'll just sort of not want to engage that much. So, so I, I always worry about that. the coffee shop idea, which is, you know, if, if you go into a hipster coffee shop and you're selling yeah. shoes for grannies, then it's completely the wrong well, target market and that is important you do need to find people who match your target audience um yeah like you say if you're if you're doing something that's kind of for bankers but you're just lazily going to the easiest people which are like students to find they're going to be so far removed <laughs> so you do need to do a little bit of recruiting it can be quite rough um but mm. thinking about it so i was doing something recently um where we were designing an app for uh learners people who are a lot of learning and the majority of people learning are kind of a aimed to like university kind of students so we went to the british library and just kind of sat around there and sort of grabbed people in the uh cafe area there and got them to kind of go through our prototype that we had on mobile so it was really easy um and we did give them like a 10 pound book voucher or something as a kind of reward but i've done it before we've never don't even pay people are surprisingly kind of uh open with their time if you get them in the right place and they're kind of and the product's right you know for them I'm just thinking if you were like, if you have a physical store or a trade show mm. stand or something, you've got somebody who's wandered onto the stand just to do it as part of the chat yeah. with them is because yeah. they, clearly they're interested because they walked on or yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and at that point. Oh, and if you have a physical store, you actually have active customers right there and then. And yeah. kind of if you, if you, you know, you can always tie it in to some form of loyalty program, potentially, if you can have a sort of pool of customers who you're ready to kind of call on at times. But it's a way to use your mailing list occasionally as well. And it kind of builds a bit of extra brand loyalty, actually, um, having that kind of, they feel a bit valued that their opinions are taken on board when they're developing new products. Oh, huge, hugely so. Um, yeah. One last question before we go into the top tips, which I've just thought of, uh, which is I'm often chatting to people who have like less than a thousand visitors a month. 
and they're saying, right. oh, I'm worried about my conversion rate. I'm worried about my conversion rate. And I usually say to them, I don't think you've got enough traffic yet. Let's get more traffic before we start worrying about the website. Am I right or am I wrong? Is there kind of a tipping point at which it's worth doing no UX at all before? Or is there always something you can do? Is it always worth just getting someone to take a look at the website and see if they actually get it? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is always stuff you can do. And I think you can always, you can learn um, from things with relatively small amounts of traffic. Um, what I would say, though, is actually this is where UX, I think, comes into its own. I think things like user testing and the more qualitative methods, you're going to get a lot more knowledge out of. The danger is when people with small amounts of traffic start trying to do things like A-B testing, yeah. because A-B testing really involves, you know, it's a much more statistical process. And to get any real benefit from it, you need lots of traffic to be getting results quickly. If you're going to run an, an A-B test with only a 1,000 visits a month, you're probably going to, to get statistically significant and meaningful results, you're going to be running it for months and months on end. You're going to be running it for like Which three Which invalidates months. it anyway because yeah, of exactly. the seasonal changes and all the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it just isn't a good way of doing it. You only really should be doing A-B tests if you can get results within a week or something. Um, so whereas uh, you can run out user tests with a few people and you can have ideas to work on that week or the next week and you can do a few cycles of user testing um, within that time that you would otherwise be sat there twiddling your thumbs waiting for a result to come back that maybe not may not tell you anything anyway. Excellent advice. So let's move in to the top tips round. Sure. Now, as you all know, I love this section because it gives me and all you, you lovely listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. Matt, you've already given us quite a few of those. but um, yeah, you've used up a few of mine already. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. You're, you're allowed to repeat. If it's a good thing, as in UX, you're allowed to repeat the message. <laughs> not You don't have to come up with something else. Oh, okay, so the book top tip first up. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? So you might think that I'd choose a UX book for this, but obviously you can read my book, so that's covered. Um, the one I'm actually going to choose is called uh, The Brain Audit. Um, mm. The Brain Audit, Why Customers Buy. Um, it's by a guy called Sean DeSouza. And I really, I've read that relatively recently and actually found that quite uh, eye-opening, intriguing on the whole process of how to sell to people and the kind of stages that people go through in kind of going from being almost skeptical to being convinced and the idea that things like um objections that people come up with are not a bad thing they're actually them getting there on the road to kind of convincing them and it does tie in with ux design in that a good kind of product page design for example selling your product will go through from like the high end capturing people's imagination with great images at the top down to like faqs almost at the bottom that answer all the kind of objections that people might have about it or questions and things so yeah i really found that one useful oh wow excellent recommendation i'm gonna have to go and add that one to my wish list um because i have way too many to read already <laughs> i'm sure the uh, the traffic top tip then which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves um so in this area i mean i use email quite a lot i know you're a fan of email chloe mm -hmm. um so that for my business uh, an email mailing list you know something you can build from day one and you can kind of slowly kind of uh grow and use them as people to you know to bounce ideas off as well as kind of become potential customers in the future and build that kind of relationship with them over the long term um i think Social media is often overrated and has had its kind of exciting phase where people throw lots into that. But the return on investment on that can be quite uh, low unless you really spend time sort of doing your adverts. I think partnerships are still very big and really useful. I've seen a lot of big boosts in traffic when you can kind of get yourself 
on yeah. someone else's blog or um, in a relevant kind of category. Um, so actually, rather than just, you know, constantly drip feeding out sort of uh, social media posts that may not get much engagement, thinking about what's a much bigger bang for your butt you can get by reaching a kind of relevant, um, art, you know, news site or blog or something in your area could be much more worth it excellent okay then the tool top tip which i'm guessing we may have already mentioned uh this may be a collaboration tool a social media plug in a phone app or just a way of working is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day so i'll reiterate usertesting.com it uh is probably still my single favorite tool and i use it on all my client projects um it's worth noting as well they have one called uh peak.usertesting.com if you go there so it's p-e-e-k.usertesting.com and that is kind of a a light super lightweight version of the platform so that's free to use you're allowed three free uh user tests per month through that system and it's just a five minute user test so all it is is really for first impressions on your site i think people answer three standard questions about like what do you think of the site what would you do next and things like that um but that's really good so you've got absolutely no budget Using that is like a no-brainer. You can get some uh, basic kind of first impressions of what people think of your landing page is your homepage from that. Um, and I'll also mention Hotjar again, which I kind of touched on before. That's not too expensive. It comes in, I think, at like 29 euros or something a go, um, a month, sorry, uh, for that. And that allows you to do lots of things like get heat maps of where people are spending time on your page, where they're clicking on your page. If they're clicking on things that aren't links that maybe you should make links, you can learn that kind of stuff from it. And you can see these video recordings of how people are actually moving around. And they've got lots of other, like you can do pop-up polls and they've got a whole bunch of tools. But the most useful two, I'd say, on there are heat maps and video recordings. Okay, marvellous. I'm loving that peak dot. Um, yeah, yeah. going to be, might might give that a li- little cheeky try myself. And then yeah, it's get really home. easy. Get worried by the responses and go and hide in a dark corner for a while. Um, so the startup top tip finally then. If you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business, what would be your first tip for them? I think um, don't throw everything at your users. Try and start simply if you can. Um, and like particularly on landing pages, people can fall into the trap of thinking they need to have all lots and lots of sections on there. It needs to be long. Classic things like people put a whole feed of uh, Instagram images or something at the bottom of the page um, just because they feel like they should or they see other people doing it. But that's just kind of potentially leading people back off your site when you've worked so hard to get them on there. They're going to click that and go off to Instagram or something. Um, so that and I think design for mobile. I think uh, start if you're starting from, t- from today – look at your mobile site a lot more often. I think a lot of business owners obviously sit and work at laptops and do most of their work in an office environment and fail to spend enough time considering what their site looks like and the experience of going through it and how painful it might be to check out or whatever on a mobile phone because that's certainly where your users are now. You know, the audience is going up and up for that. Okay, brilliant. Well, Master Plan World, you can find those top tips and links to all the rest of the things we've been chatting about in today's episode by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where you'll see a link to this show. Matt, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you, your book and your business on the web and social media? Yeah, so my site is mattish.com. So that's M-A-T-T-I-S-H.com. And if you go to that so if you go to mattish.com forward slash ecom, so that's E-C-O-M, I've actually got um, an e-commerce kind of course. It uses some of the tips from my book. It's got um, about 15 of the tips from the book are in there, and you can do it over a five-day free email course, nice. and you get a discount on the book at the end of that. 
Um, and so the book's available on Amazon. It's called Designing E-Commerce Websites. I'm also on Twitter as Ishmat. So that's a reversed version of my site URL. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Excellent. Well, guys, there you go. You can have a quick five-day email course in a UX and get rewarded with a discount off the book at the end of it. And um, Matt, I was wondering, would you be up for doing a special Q&A session with the Get More Customers Club members at some point? Yeah, for sure. That sounds exciting. It was always good to uh, have a look at people's real life sites and uh, see if we can help out in any way. Excellent. Well, well, we'll have a chat about that when we finish recording. So get more customer club members. Watch out. Matt is coming up soon live for you guys. Um, okay. Well, I'll add links to all of those bits and pieces you've told us about and everything else today in the show notes. Masterplan World, you can find those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. Matt, thank you so much for being on the e-commerce masterplan podcast today. It's been awesome to finally get UX pro- covered properly on the show. So yeah. um, thank you for being so generous, sharing your experiences with us. It's been great. Thanks, Chloe. Yeah, I'm glad to have been the person to have helped you out there. Hopefully I've filled in a few blanks for a few people. Oh, I'm sure you have. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. Uh, How cool was Matt there, giving us so many insights into the world of UX, which hopefully has made the whole world of UX and CRO somewhat less scary for all of you. And I think the key thing to think about there is if you've just started up and you've just got that website live, then Go and use peek.usertesting.com, P-E-E-K, so you're having a peek at something, uh, and use that that really simple free one just to find out what people think you are before you invest lots of money in, in advertising to get people people to your website. Because if they're getting it wrong, then you need to get that, that landing page changed. And then if you're already up and running and you've got that traffic coming through with any user testing, just remember, look at the quantitative so Google Analytics, et cetera, to identify where the issues are. Then use the qualitative, so usertesting.com, hotjar.com, to identify why there's a problem there. So quantitative for the where to look, and then qualitative, (laughs) just getting them confused, qualitative for the why. So then you can work out what you need to test or what you need to tweak or change. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that episode. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, It's given me lots of food for thought. If you want to share your thoughts and if you've got any questions, then join in the discussion in our Facebook group, which is called E-Commerce Master Plan World. And you can either search for that on Facebook or find it via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. For now, though, everybody, have a super week and, of course, keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.